0: Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Elb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Our guest today is Ollie Forsyth, global community manager and investor at Antler antler is a global venture capital firm enabling and investing in the world's most exceptional people from the earliest stages recently Ali published this piece called a new creator economy a guide to web3 creator platforms so we focus our conversation on his learnings while researching this paper and as you can imagine what is the future of the creator economy in web3 there's a lot of explorations here and a lot of thinking quite far into the future in these two areas so without further ado here's ollie ollie thank you so much for joining me here today how are
1: you hey mike i'm doing great thank you how are you doing
0: I'm doing great. I'm so excited for our chat today about the creator economy and really, really do love all of the content that you've been pushing out and uh, just being really helpful in terms of navigating all of us uh, throughout what's kind of going on in this transformation that's happening. First of all, what got you interested in the creator economy in the first place? Hey, no. Well,
1: first of all, thank you so much for... Uh having us. I remember when we first met, it was probably three or four years ago now, I think when you were just starting uh, the Consumer VC podcast, and it's been awesome to see you know, how far you guys have grown. Uh, and similar to listening to people like yourself and being a fellow podcaster kind of back in the day where so many, you know, we would have, you know, maybe a couple thousand listeners or many of people you know, listening to our podcasts. But I became really frustrated. Why do podcasters not get paid the same as music artists do on these streaming platforms? And it was a couple of years ago when I started kind of diving into the space. And back at the time, you know, unfortunately, we had this massive pandemic that came along, wiped out thousands and uh, maybe you know even millions of jobs. And people had to turn to their creativity uh, to make some form of, you know, means of income to replace their employment and income. And, you know, this kind of light bulb moment struck me at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, a couple of evenings and a couple of mornings, where I really saw, you know, potentially this is the future of work, and this got me really excited. Well, today is called the creator economy.
0: So it came from a personal pain point. Is the reason why what got you interested in creating content around the creator economy, which is kind of meta, also right? Since you're also a creator, uh, creating content around helping people understand, you know, all the different platforms that are currently out there, and, and really this movement that's been happening to, I guess, change how creators are actually monetizing, making paid, or actually, you know, giving them an opportunity to monetize and, and get paid.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's been so interesting just to see how fast and how much the landscape has changed over the years. Um, you know, honestly, when we started first exploring the creative economy, probably even from a personal perspective, two, two and a half years ago, nobody was paying attention to the space. Nobody really cared. And all of a sudden now is almost everyone wants to become a creator. I think what's so fascinating also is just that, you know, I think it's now 29, 30% of American high school students no longer want to become bankers, doctors, or lawyers. They want to become creators. And uh, I really think like we're not even on chapter one yet. I'm just so excited what's gonna happen uh, in this space in the next couple of years.
0: So I know so, so I know you wrote this piece, The Ultimate Guide to the Creator Economy. What do you think when you were thinking about? You know, creating writing this piece, and, and I know you talked to you know a lot of people that are quite well known as you know quote unquote thought leaders, right, in this space. What do you think was misunderstood about the creator economy, and how did this piece actually teach you as well?
1: Yeah, so there are there've been a couple of reports written to clear things up. So our first creator economy report was published in 2021. This was around the ultimate guide on becoming a creator. And if I take you through the journey uh, and your your listeners, when we first published the piece, it was very much around, you know, platforms are in control. The platforms weren't really providing any autonomy to their creators. The platforms were basically the monopolies, right? They would just tell the creators, this is what's going to happen, you have no say. And when we first published the piece, what was staggering, I think, was, okay, so many people want to become creators, but these platforms are making so much freaking money, like their take rates were insane, anywhere from, you know, 5 to 50%, which from a consumer and from, you know, an investor venture point of view, I thought for the venture point of view, okay, this is really interesting business models, but for the consumer and the creator, you know, platforms who are taking 50% of the creator's revenue, I just thought personally that was like, completely unfair. So from the first report, the biggest thing that I saw and that I learned personally was okay, a lot of people want to become creators. There is so much, you know, flexibility and opportunities to become a creator. And just the You know, variety is so great, right? Anyone can become a creator tomorrow. And then kind of fast forward, actually it was only just around 10 months. Then this kind of whole crypto and web-free kind of, you know, know, era kind of blew up. And with the, the biggest transition we saw in our 2022 creator report was around focusing around ownership. So in the space of kind of 10, 11 months, we saw this whole platform and, you know, I guess sector shift from the platforms were in control Back in 2021, but where we are today, the platforms are no longer in control. Is actually the creators, by having kind of crypto and Web three at the forefront, the creators are the ones who are going to be turbocharging this new creator economy, which we call today is the new creator economy, where all of the stakeholders in the value chain should be compensated based on their contributions towards platforms and communities.
0: Can you talk to me a little bit about the intersection between you know Web three and crypto with the creator economy and why Web3 can be so powerful and such an unlock for creators? So, I think the biggest
1: opportunity for Web3 and the creator economy is for so long, these creators have had no say in the platforms that they operate on. And to me, I think that's actually just so unfair towards the creators. In order for these platforms to succeed, they have to have the creators as their superfans. The creators as the superfans. Who, you know, want to stay on these platforms forever, right? But I think the second biggest element here is a lot of the time around the creator economy, you know, all of the fans that are being um, you know, actively targeted are actually originally from the creators themselves. So if we take, uh, and these are typically, you know, uh, one side of the marketplaces where the creators, because of all of their work, they're typically on one platform where the creator basically has to send all of the, create uh, all of their fans to one platform, meaning those uh, platforms are having, you know, basically completely free marketing. So the biggest element that I think, you know, crypto and Web3 unlocks with the creator economy is based on, you know, the creators and their contributions towards the success of these platforms, they should be compensated as well as the uh, fans who have helped those platforms to succeed. In simple terms, if that break it down to the audience, uh, in a in a simple in a simple way.
0: Got it. And I mean, what are some of the other elements where you know the economics um, within the creator economy um, are changing? I know you mentioned you know ownership, but maybe what are some you know examples that creators are exploring in terms of ways to actually being able to you know maybe monetize their audiences and actually earn you know a fairly consistent revenue stream. To break it down, the
1: additional revenue streams that I think creators as well as platforms can tap into. First of all, you know, now with crypto and Web3, there are so many additional ways these creators can make a source of income. They can be through NFTs, they can be through social tokens. So social tokens essentially providing you know some form of golden tickets or tickets um, to your most engaged fans, which might be, you know, some... Which might be worth something in the future, right? They have multiple different ways of engaging with their fans. They can now do live streaming. Versus back a couple of years ago, it was really only through text format. For the platforms where I kind of see this operating long term is yes, the takeaways will, you know, hopefully be reduced. So we see takeaways being reduced from most likely 15-20% down to kind of five, 7.5%. And the reason why they'll be reduced so dramatically will be because these platforms will have additional ways of monetizing their creators the additional ways they'll have monetizing their creators will be payments number one second transaction fees um, which will be probably most likely actually for the uh super fans they'll have the takeaways still but i think what's even more interesting is if we take social tokens or nfts no matter how many times that nft is resold the creator will always have some form of royalty against that. And based on the underlying platform that that NFT, as an example, operates, the uh, platform most likely will take some form of uh, additional take rate, if not very small, though.
0: So, are you saying in terms of the, the the relationship and the dynamic between the platform and the creator? Platforms are then taking a smaller take rate when it comes to uh, the creator, but the creator then has more opportunity or can release maybe more products uh, within the platform in order to monetize. Which so it's more like a smaller piece of the pie, but there's a lot more products to kind of go around. So the pla- so that's kind of the opportunity on the platform side. Is that roughly right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the official one.
1: I think we're going to start to see immersion. The next couple of months or the next couple of years is, you know, as creators start to operate and scale their companies, they need so many additional resources, services, or microservices allocated to them. And I think it's going to become really interesting to see how do these platforms start to offer all of these microservices for the creator needs. For example, they need all the backend office support, such as like, you know, analytics. They need the payment support. They need the legal support. They need the marketing support. And not all of this, especially the the notable companies, all the, you know, rising companies operate. So I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how do these platforms start to offer all of these microservices or how do they collaborate with existing startup providers who can provide all of those services, but in one place. Because that's the biggest challenge. Like, how can a creator be provided or using 10, 15 different services when they have to go to multiple different platforms? It's just a really poor user experience. So I think at some point, you know, we'll see a lot of these platforms either start to collaborate with one another or offer these microservices in one place,
0: or you know, yeah, like have it more like a, some of these platforms can actually go, you know, cross-platform or can actually collaborate or communicate with a variety of different platforms, like on the back office type of stuff, for example. Exactly. I think also too like what's misunderstood about the creator economy a little bit, um, and we've definitely covered on the show. But you know, creators, as you say, when it comes to employment, starting from your initial comment about how Gen Z, you know, this is the number one job that you know Gen Z, you know, wants to be a, a creator. Like it actually is a real job, right? And these are actually much more. They should be maybe treated a bit more like SMBs rather than what you think about a creator. I mean, it's, it's it could be still like a one person business, but it is still you know a business. It's not and with the business then there's and it kind of opens it up into a variety as you say like a lot of services that actually they need to they need to have in order to you know function.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be again right I just think of this as like a founder. Um how do you build the best product that reaches the most amount of creators with the best experience? And you do that by just keeping things really simple I think initially. By captivating your fans as creators early on, you provide one solution that I think is potentially the most um, effective and most impactful for creators. Then as they start to use your services and the network effects start to become stronger, then you can start um, providing additional services. I think the biggest mistake platforms do too early on is they think of themselves as creator experts or they're not creators themselves, Right. They offer too many services, it's very confusing to the creator what do they actually do. So um, one tip, and I'm sure you know, we can provide multiple from each other throughout the conversation is, if you're starting a company, just make it really easy and simple for the creator to understand what you're actually providing. I just provide one service, keep it really simple.
0: What traditional, maybe Web 2.0, to- you know, social platform is most vulnerable right now. Do you think, and which, as well, to on the flip side, it might be in the best position to actually succeed in this new, as you say, like we're still in the very early stages of the of the creator economy. But kind of in your mind, in the best position to succeed moving forward. I'd actually love to turn the table to you, first.
1: What do you think is the most vulnerable, and what do you think has the massive opportunity? Ah, oh, that's a really good question. We can debate it. I mean, I actually think one of the most vulnerable, I actually think, is music. We're starting to see quite a few music artists moving away from the likes of Spotify uh, to go solo and go uh, direct to consumer. So around kind of the ownership economy, right? And the reason why I think music is in kind of the most vulnerable space is there are 7 million music artists on Spotify only 0.2 percent of those make over fifty thousand dollars a year in revenue, which is just crazy. And I think when we when we look at that, so you're saying only a handful a couple of thousand of those actually make over fifty thousand dollars in revenue a year, if you're saying there are seven million music artists on Spotify and only 0.2 percent of those make over fifty thousand dollars in revenue a year, I think there is something potentially very fundamentally wrong in the music
0: world. What do you think? I actually somewhat disagree with you because you also have to think in when it comes to music artists, you have to think about how they actually normally traditionally monetize. Right. Traditionally, when it came to CD sales, that wasn't really money going towards the artist. Certainly, if you, you know, are a top artist, you definitely made a, a lot of money from record sales. But primarily you made a lot of money through touring and concerts. And so I think when you're thinking about, you know, a salary or, or income for a musician, if you look at it from the total landscape, if touring and concerts, which I know that, you know, this is also the past, you know, two, three years has been very, very difficult for musicians for um in touring and concerts but as the world slowly opens up and as touring and concerts get back to normal musicians like I actually think the role of putting music online, it's not so much actually to monetize it. It's more so to get it out there to actually, people can actually hear it and actually build that maybe the relationship with you on a musician side. Maybe that actually then, you can maybe use some creator economy tools to develop a deeper relationship on the community side of things. Maybe you actually then are able to monetize your, your community in some fashion with maybe social tokens, or which we can certainly talk about. But I do think that still, in a funny way, the music industry Instead of record labels, you're kind of just not that, I mean, record labels obviously still exist, but you're able to kind of go direct by releasing online via streaming, but still your main income source and revenue. Is if it is touring, then you actually might not be. Again, as long as the world's open backs up, you might be actually okay moving forward. I do think though, like the podcaster, for example, right? Does the podcaster tour? Not very likely, right? Not. It's not a very common thing to happen on a podcasting side of things like that. Maybe they're a bit more. Vulnerable on that side, if that is, you know, the main mechanism to actually monetize. But that's why I think that what's also interesting is why on the streaming side of things for podcasting, like this is why I think you know Spotify I think is in great position and what they're doing are able to, you know, become go exclusive with podcasters. They can't really go exclusive with big recording artists because. The actual recording artists—they want their songs to be played any on all platforms anywhere. It's really increased the spread. This is a, this is like you know what I what I said, and also kind of I want to attribute this to to Ali Hamad when he came on the show. He also talked about this as well. So I do think that there's like some, but from a podcaster's perspective, like since that is your kind of only form of income, typically is doing podcasts, then like Spotify deal of being exclusive with Spotify actually seems a bit more attractive. So that's what I think in terms of the music side. I also think in terms of what, like on the platform side of thing, what's in the best position to succeed. I think Spotify is pretty well positioned with their, you know, kind of becoming very kind of creator friendly or or wanting to be or you know kind of going inclusive with creators and kind of rewarding creators with some of these big deals that we've been seeing. I also think TikTok as well with their creator fund and really I think trying to be a bit more forethinking around. And I love your thoughts, relevant this, a bit more forethinking. Around how to actually collaborate with the artists. I remember hearing like interviews of people that worked at TikTok, and they would actually like tell creators like, "This is how you can be successful on our platform." Which I haven't seen that in like in like Facebook or Instagram. I haven't really seen that from YouTube. Uh, so I think that actually is really cool that it's much more of like a. It seems at least on the surface, and again, probably only for like you know one percent of people, but. It's much more of like a collaborative effort, it seems for more of like talent scouting in a funny way, right? and wanting to actually improve. Um so those are those are my thoughts. would love to hear yours,
1: yeah, that's actually really, on the podcasting front that's, uh you're right. I agree. I think it's a, is a really interesting tactic. Spotify are. Uh, are chasing. Um, and now they're, I think they're starting to allow podcasters to start charging subscriptions and at some point there'll probably be enhanced ways podcasters can interact with their fans, which today is a massive challenge, right? If you have eighty, hundred thousand 100,000 fans you have no data on those um, listeners, you can't interact with them, you can't come in in a room like we've seen with Twitter Spaces. So I think this whole you know Web2 space for social, it's gonna be really interesting to see how it unfolds. For the creative funds, I think the creative funds is really interesting. I think it's gonna become more interesting to see just long term how do they actually operate. And, you know, will these creative funds start uh, saying more publicly, you know, how can you actually earn an income? through the creative funds, it's been, it's been a bit vague how much creators can actually earn from these creative funds. Uh, there are a couple of numbers kind of kind of flying around. And once that kind of money runs out from the creative funds, what happens next? Do they go and raise more creative funds in the future? And what does that look like from an impact point of view, right? You know, are creators earning more just down to the funds? Um, where is that cash coming from the creative funds themselves? Um, you know, what do their network effects uh, start to look like or do the cycle for, we call it the, the creator cycle. And think of it like a job interview. How long do creators spend creating? Are they going to do this for five years, six years, ten years? And what will impact does creator funds have on top of that? But I think it's massive. Like Pinterest just announced their creator funds, TikTok have obviously got their own. Snapchat and, and Instagram have got theirs. As well as TikTok. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, early days though
0: yeah exactly early days, early days'll we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens I mean obviously the web two platforms are definitely trying to maybe take a bit more of a creator economy approach in terms of what that really means of ownership for the creators or collaboration at least with the creators on what that you know how they could actually work and partner together instead of just saying, hey, here's our platform oh you got bigger our platform great but you know we're not gonna we're not gonna do anything for you. This is still obviously like the early days of all of this with you know new developing platforms and the creator economy. It's interesting like one of the big takeaways from your piece and definitely a big theme in the creator economy is having these very kind of much deeper conversations, maybe micro communities and kind of going a lot deeper rather than kind of spreading wide. And I think that that's really what in the web 2 era that we've you know seen. Right. I'm kind of curious since Facebook and Instagram largely were like the face of that, right? How they're able to adapt in that sort of way. And we don't really know what meta is per se yet, right? Like, obviously, it's VR interactive, or at least that's the hope. But I'm very curious to see how Facebook will, you know, respond at maybe a macro level to the creator economy, like in the years moving forward.
1: I mean, it's really interesting hearing your. And when I was thinking about it, you know, I think for any platform, they have is for now with Web3 and kind of like ownership economy, it's about trust. And I think it's about, you know, how do you enable your creators to stay on your platform for years? And the way they stay on the platform for years, I think in a really simple terms, is you provide discoverability, you provide distribution meaning you essentially, you know, in simple terms, provide hopefully millions of fans to your customers who are the creators, and you just be fair in a financial sense. Like, back to some of the earlier points, one of the biggest frustrations I don't agree with in the creator economy is how can a platform take 50% of a creator's earnings? Like I just think that's fundamentally unfair. Like, you as a creator, if you are... Streaming on a Web two platform, and I say Web two because typically Web three take rates are, are much lower. I think you would be pretty pissed off if you uh, were, you know, having to give away fifty percent of your revenue to a platform that's a, not providing distribution, not providing discoverability. So I think, in simple terms, for the creator economy to, to succeed and. For a Web two platform to tran- transition to Web 3 platform, you provide discoverability, distribution, and take rates, aren't like the mafia. They are a fair uh, ownership economy way where it's maybe
0: five to seven point five percent, give or take. With all this being said, something that I just was thinking about a little earlier was where does email? What's like the role of email moving forward? Because when you talk about ownership, right? Like that is. The closest thing we have for owning, obviously I don't love to say you know owning a customer, but like owning a customer, right? Like owning like that kind of relationship in terms of direct to consumer, right? We talk a lot about like DDC brands on the show, for example. and you know one of the reasons why the benefits of going DDC is that you can actually do email marketing, right? And I if for example the platform you really do have that trust and ownership, and that is there, and you're monetizing through the platform, which, like we say, that you know you don't own any of your kind of content, or obviously you can't like control the algorithms or or whatnot. So you always need to shift to email eventually. What do you see Diane on like the role of email moving forward? If you did have these platforms that had a lot, you know, there was a lot more trust, and you maybe had did have more ownership already on these platforms with your customers.
1: Another great question. Maybe we should write a piece around that. What does the future of email look like? I think there are two sides, right? I think it comes down to, first of all, who is, what's the target audience of the creator? If they are young, savvy, millennial Gen Zs who just want something very quick and easy to communicate with, I don't think email is going to probably exist because they don't care. And they're lazy and uh, you know, we're one of them, well, I'm one of them. And you you want something you know quick and easy to navigate, right? Where email will probably still remain is around you know kind of more web two focused platforms. If it's around e commerce, like you mentioned, by right? DTC, right? That I like, think for sure still has a place, but that I like, I just don't think that is particularly scalable.
0: I'm not sure. What do you think? I'm not sure either. I mean, I on one hand, it's really hard for me to think that email doesn't have a place just because it's kind of all we know. Meaning, when you think about, you know, Ownership when you talk about like the ownership economy, like there's nothing that has been developed that's more ownership driven than email. Is that fair to say when it comes to like that whole relationship with the customer? I mean, maybe you could say SMS, but people don't want to be receiving text messages all the time or you know, once they to to you know communicate the creator. Or, you know, maybe there is, you know, a small percentage, but I still think that that email is kind of like dynamic there. It's kind of hard to imagine what you don't no, and what you're not used to? I'm not sure either. I mean, I still find it hard on the kind of customer ownership potential to replace email. But then again, I think that it's also maybe like the context, as you say, of what you're trying to accomplish or what you're trying to achieve. With all this being said, what do you think is like the next big Distribution channel or type of creator that's going to rise to popularity. We obviously have the video creator, we have the podcaster, we have newsletters. What do you think when you're thinking about two like different types of you know maybe creator profiles um, on the distribution side? Is there one that kind of comes to mind that you're quite excited about?
1: I actually think one of the biggest opportunities for creators and probably the one that's not really talked about much is. The typical creator who's just providing you, you know, random information every day. Like, this is why we go to TikTok. We go to TikTok to be entertained and learn a bunch of new stuff, right? Those are the creators that I think are actually going to rise. To fame. I followed a creator the other day. He started like 21 days ago, I can't remember his name, but just by cooking really interesting like cuisines from all around the world. Based in Australia, he now has 2 million followers. There's this really interesting creator called Dylan LeMay where he started just making funny ice cream videos on TikTok. He now has his own ice cream parlor in uh, New York. So I think the, the new interesting creators that will come to fame will be called the new creators becoming the new types of Walt Disney's, meaning you can start becoming a creator and you eventually start your own brand. You uh, become this ice cream guy, you start an ice cream company. You may start, uh, you know, providing travel tips, where to go traveling. You then maybe start providing, you know, travel holidays and so maybe you're there as a creator going along those holidays and actually they live in the action. So I think uh, to answer your question, the new types of creators that will will emerge will be, you know, your lifestyle creators who, yeah, I think lifestyle creators.
0: Ali, what is one book that's inspired you personally and one book that's inspired you professionally?
1: One book that's inspired me personally, it was actually... uh, It was back probably when I was seven, eight, maybe nine. So 13 13 years ago, like probably everyone says this, or quite a few people say this, but it was just Richard Branson's book. Like he left school when he was 16. I left school when I was 16. I couldn't read and write until I was like 14 or 15. And uh, he he was also very dyslexic. And that kind of really got me into entrepreneurship, like right at the early beginning, right? I started a company when I was 13 and did, did a bunch of other things and it just taught me to like really graft like even if you can't read and write and you're sitting in a classroom and an exam and reading a blank piece of paper when you're 14 15 like it doesn't matter so that that taught me like a lot of just graft and hustle like very early on and from a i, mean, I guess that's like both uh, professional and personal right but maybe another one to add in was you got phil nike's book on um you know the nike story i think that's just incredible like uh you know how somebody you know, so early. I think again he was like twenty-four, twenty-five, how he built one of the largest companies in the world today. But there are quite a few. i am more of a podcaster. I listen to podcasts like you guys.
0: <laughs> appreciate <That's> that, Ali. <laughs> appreciate that. My final question for you, Ali, is what's your biggest piece of advice that you've had for founders? Take your time. We meet thousands of founders every year, and
1: they think it's gonna turn into gold overnight. It takes an incredibly long time. And there are a couple of bit of like nuggets we provide to founders. And, you know, also like founders provide us rights. It takes a long time. So take your time. And I think really learn the art of, yes, project management and all of this, but just time. Spend time building, but also just go and spend time hanging out with your founder friends and learn to relax. It's not all about working 19, 20 hours a day. So enjoy the ride and. If it doesn't work out, don't worry, come back stronger next time. And if that doesn't work out, try again. And meet a bunch of really cool people along the way. And uh, I think that the the best founders are always the ones who will get in the front seat of Anuba versus the bankers who will sit in the back. So be humble and just stay yourself. I
0: I love that. That's great. Ali, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time.
1: No, thank you so much. And if anybody has not subscribed to the Consumer VC podcast yet,
0: and there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Ali. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. I highly recommend following him on Twitter at Ali Forsyth. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host Mike, on Twitter at mikegelb, and also follow for episode announcements at Consumer VC. Thanks for listening, everyone.